Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Karen. I'm Kelly. We're back with day two, or show two, I should say, with Jim Lennox. Um, if you're just tuning in to this show, I would highly encourage you to go back um, to Jim's first episode. This is our Remembrance Day series, um, and it does go in order. Otherwise, you're going to be very, very lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we'll encourage you, if you can, uh, to watch this episode on YouTube, um, Facebook, or Patreon, if you can. We hope you enjoy. Jim Lenoms, welcome back. Hi, Jim. Good day. Happy to be here. I know you mentioned you wanted to sort of um, touch on a few of the, la- the last things that you were talking about to kind of segue into today's show. So can we let you uh, take that away? Yes. Um, yeah, most important, definitely uh, watch or listen to the first uh, uh, podcast on this because it'll make all of this uh, carry forward a whole lot easier. Um, So as we talked about and and ended on, grandfather was part of the Dutch army. Uh, They lasted six whole days and then the country uh, surrendered to the Germans. And in his position, which was in the 29th Infantry Regiment, uh, he was taken captive as a prisoner of war. And that would have been in the area just around Renan, the the town of Renan um, in Holland. And um, I I don't remember if I mentioned this in the first podcast, actually, but yeah, Karen, you were able to see him get captured, uh, which uh, cleared up a few things for me as well. Hmm. Um, Yeah, you you saw the Germans actually uh, looking for him in the trees because this was a treed area. And uh, so he was looking for him in the trees and they they found him eventually and uh, they uh, captured him along with a few other people that were with him at the time. And from there, he was, uh, 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 as a prisoner of war, they could have gone many different places. Uh, in Holland at the time, many of the soldiers in their locations, their defensive locations, would not have actually seen any battle. Uh, in, in those six days, certainly Germany moved quite quickly through the country, but they got to a certain point and the Dutch government surrendered, uh, fearing, you know, massive losses of life and destruction mm-hmm. to their country. They just put up the white flag, which was probably a smart move on their part. So a lot of the Dutch soldiers, uh, while they were, could be considered prisoners of war, they were not taken anywhere. They were basically confined to barracks. So like uh, the various army camps that the Dutch army had throughout the country, they would be put into these areas and just confined there for a period of time until they figured out what they were gonna do with them. However, my grandfather being one of those that was actually in a battle zone, uh, he was picked up with as many other people as they could find and they were taken somewhere. Our big question always was is where was he taken? So this is kind of where the story starts. Um, We do know, or I did know at the time, that he was marched with a group of soldiers, and some of them weren't even from Holland, some of them were from France, uh, because Germany was doing battle all over the place at the same time. And that group marched through the village of Vorden, and that's also in Holland. And they did a rest break at a church in Vorden. And it happened to be a church where my grandfather's, now I'm hoping I'm getting this right because I haven't looked into it too much. Uh, I believe it was 
his sister-in-law. Uh, she worked there as a caretaker in that same church. And he was able to pass information back to the family that, hey, I'm alive, I'm doing well, I'm, I'm prisoner of war, and I'm going somewhere. And uh, that information, uh, I believe, did make it back to my grandmother because in a, well, my grandmother, she, she wrote poems in her spare time and she wrote little, like, like little journals, little stories, notes, I don't know what you, uh, exactly to call them. I actually have her little book here that uh, she put together. And in one of these little uh, entries, she wrote that um, her husband was taken as a prisoner of war deep into Germany. So right there, I'm going, okay, he probably went into Germany because these would have been written, not at the time, they would have been written as reflections afterwards. So there was some communication between my grand grandparents uh, on what had happened. So I she knew he went into Germany. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you had that book and that you were able to verify things. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful little book, actually. And we've actually never talked to my grandmother yet. It's something we're going to have to do at some point. Uh, she's a wonderful person. I didn't know that you could say, I'm doing well, in the same sentence where you say, I'm a prisoner of war. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I guess doing well as opposed to not surviving, right? Uh, generally, prisoners of war are treated fairly well. There were rules, whether they chose to follow them or not, right? So, um, yeah, he was, he was doing well. Um, so anyways, I had a hint that he was in Germany, or headed to Germany. Also, if we go back to my uncle's book that I referred to in the first podcast, in that book, there was a clear statement that, and I'm reading it right now, he was taken prisoner and shipped to a prison camp 150 miles east of Berlin. So, okay, now we've got 150 miles east of Berlin, and my grandmother saying he was taken to Germany. But when I looked on the map, a map of, uh, of Europe, 150 miles east of Berlin wasn't in Germany. So that caused some confusion for me. And this, this will all get cleared up as we go here uh, today. Um, so, of course, what did I do? And this is before I came to see you, Karen, for, for one of my sessions. I took a, a, a map off the Internet of Europe, and it had a scale on it. I used a scale and got one of those old-fashioned compasses, you know, with a point on one end and a pencil on the other. I'm sure nobody uses those anymore. And I measured off 150 miles, put it on Berlin, drew an arc. And took, taking a look at where that arc fell in Europe, it didn't land on any cities except one. And it was exactly on one city, but that was in Poland. So I'm like, okay. So then I got out a list of all the, not all, I shouldn't say all, but a large amount of POW camps that Germ Germany had set up. And I started going through that list and what was on that list that would be close to this 150 mile arc. And there were a couple that were close, but there was only one that was exactly on that arc. So I had my suspicions. So that's when I came to see you, Karen. And this is, you know, I think this might actually have been second at the most, our third session together. 
this one here. So we were still very new on how we were working this out with my grandfather, the riddle master. So uh, yeah, this, this is actually kind of fun. So, and I'll make reference now to, that will be uh, item number six. Okay. Yep. I have uh, a copy of the notes from that session here, and I'm gonna refer to these because it's the only way I'm gonna make this uh, make any sense to anybody else. On this piece of paper, we have quite a few awesome clues. When I first came in to see you that day, I asked one question. Did he go to Poland? Not Germany, Poland. And you wrote Poland down on the page. You spelt it wrong, but that's okay. We know we knew what it meant. <laughs> and then you kept writing. And of course, I just, you know, I just stayed quiet, which I, I learned to do very quickly. You wrote the letters Y and N. So Y and N. Then you wrote five years as well. You kept going and you wrote five slash six letters. That's exactly what you wrote, five slash six letters. I think you drew a circle around it. And then elsewhere on this page, you wrote book and you started to draw a diagram of what the book looked like. And you referred to the book my uncle wrote, which was a ringed book. Actually, I'll hold it up, that'd be kind of cool. Look just like that. And that's how you drew it with the end with the rings on it. None of that made any sense to me at the time. In fact, it didn't make any sense to me for a very long time. But I took all of this home with me. And, you know, again, I'm all excited. Woo I got some clues to work on here. Uh, you know, I actually figured again, this is going to be fairly easy. There's some pretty good clues here. So I started looking at it and weeks went by. And months went by, and I still hadn't figured this out, even though I knew it had to be Germany or Poland. And then all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went on. And uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain that either. But uh, this is how it goes. Did he go to Poland? The specific question. You write, wrote a Y and an N. Right away, when you see that normally, you'd go, yes, no. At least I would. Yes, no. Okay, so he went to Poland, yes. And he went to Poland, no. Right? Which one is it? Right? Then five years. Five years taken in relation to the book. If I go back to that statement I wrote, uh, I read out of the book, in that very same paragraph in my uncle's book, he refers to the next five years and you have five years written on here. So I'm like, okay, maybe something there. Then we've got five slash six letters. What am I going to do with that? I had no idea what that meant. Then after a whole lot of research about Poland and Germany, I finally realized that I was looking at the map of Europe with static boundaries. Uh, take, for example, Germany, the country Germany. It's got fixed boundaries. However, those boundaries have changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Before the Second World War, the boundaries were different. 
during the Second World War, they changed regularly. Why? Because regardless of what the Atlas showed Germany to be, when the Nazis took over a country, they referred to it as Germany. So in this case, oh. we're taking over Poland. Poland is now Germany. Oh. So if you research uh, Germany during the Second World War, you'll see all these varying boundaries. And they even went as far as to set up different governments that worked on their behalf within these countries. So they considered it Germany as a whole. So yes, no. Yeah, he went to Poland, yes. But no, he didn't go to Poland because it was Germany. <laughs> Same place. Now, the five, six letters. I go back to my arc uh, that I drew on my uh, other piece of paper. That arc fell clearly in across the city of Posen. Well, Posen was what the country Germany was calling that city. If you look at a map of Poland, in Polish, it's Poznan. Posen has five letters. Germany has six letters. Or sorry, Germany, uh, Poznan Version. has six. So we hmm. got five letters. We got six letters. Five slash six letters is the clue. So I figured I had my place. It had to be the place. He went to, I'm going to say Posen. It's easier for me to say. He went to Posen as a prisoner of war. Um, that, that was actually quite remarkable mm -hmm. when uh, uh, I learned that. Uh, this is like I say again, this is early on into our trying to learn how grandfather is working during these sessions. Lots of riddles, lots of clues. And uh, this one was a good one. Uh, but there was more to this one. There was a lot more to this one. Um, in your notes, you circled that battery of clues. The book you referred to as a ringed book. Well, it turns out when you research the city of Posen, it had a ring of forts. It had an inner, uh, inner. Uh, the old town was encircled in, in, in walls and different forts. It was like a big fortress, like you'd envision a massive castle. Okay, it was a defensive measure. Outside of that, near the outside of the city, they had individually spaced uh, forts in a circle around the whole city as well. So there's two rings uh, of forts protecting this inner part of this city. So that added to the battery of clues as well. Um, now as well, you could take this a little bit further, uh, the yes, no. Did he go to Poland? Yes. Did he go to Poland? No. That actually should have been NY, not YN, if you follow that along, right? But then you take a look at the, the, the paper with your clues on it, Karen, and the Y and the N are backwards. Well, so is your name. Hmm? Uh, you wrote your name backwards on this page. 
And I couldn't figure out for a long time why you would write your name backwards on the page, but you wrote it backwards. And uh, so your name's backwards, so is the Y in the N. So I took that and ran with it and said, yeah, I got my place. He went to Posen. Posen, 150 miles east of Berlin. And it's both in Germany and in Poland. So we got our location. That now, that only took me, I'm going to estimate probably about three months. Three months to sort that out. <laughs> That's patient. Well, patient and stubborn. A whole lot of stubbornness in there too. Um, again, we're talking second, maybe third meeting together. And I uh, wasn't about to stop this thing just as soon as I started it. So that, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty awesome day. Um, fits right up there with the blue spider from the first uh, podcast. Uh, but that also gave me a very, very good indication of how this was all going to work for me. Uh, not very often was I going to get a direct answer. I was going to get these clues that would take me off into different parts of the, the history of the Second World War, which would get me uh, more knowledge of everything that was going on, which uh, just made this thing fit together a whole lot nicer. So, excellent. But then again, there I was all, you know, all cocky. Woohoo, went to posing. I came to see you again. And I actually brought item number seven, the picture of the ring of forts. I brought that with me to a session. And uh, we sat down and I said, okay, Karen, where on this page did he go? Because the ring of forts, there had to be 15 different spots. Not all of them were being used as POW camps, but that doesn't mean he wasn't there, right? But I figured one of these, he's gotta be in one of these. And I did a lot of research on them all individually and had my thoughts on which one they could be. So when I came with the paper, put it in front of you and said, show me where he went. You kind of looked at it and looked at me and said, it's not on this page. Shit. So, well, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I said but uh, pretty close. And uh, so I'm like, oh, damn. All right. I thought I had this one nicked, right? All the clues pointed to posing. So wonderful. We sat there for a few minutes. And then you drew a letter B on the page and pointed to the top of the page, the very top of the page where there was no, no city anymore. And so I'm going, B, what the hell does that mean? And you said, well, grandfather says there's a B. And this is where he is, right there. So I'm like, oh, wonderful. Back to my little den here. You know, I got a thousand references open at the same time, and I'm trying to find what is there. So you can't do Google Earth and get something from 1940. It wasn't around back then, right? So you have to look at old maps, old drawings, photographs, whatever happened to be posted on the internet. And it wasn't a lot. Um, but what I did do Google Earth just to get an idea of what was up there geographically north of the city. And turns out about 10 miles from what I would call the center of the city today was a army training area 
So knowing what I know about the military, generally speaking, they don't just create an army training area now. They would use something that already existed, right? These things stay around forever. So I'm going, okay, it's Europe. Things last forever in Europe, it seems. So um, that's an army training camp today. Maybe it was an army training camp in 1940. So back on the internet, doing some searching around Posen, and turns out that very area I was looking at, there, that training area, was used by the Polish military as, as a tank range and an army barracks. In the Second World War, it, when Germany marched in and took over Poland, they adopted it as their camp as well. So they also used it as a, as a training area and a military barracks. Now this training area encompassed about five little villages. So they were all taken over by this large training area. One of those villages, and I gotta grab the paper because my pronunciation of this Polish town might be very brutal. One of these little villages, I'm gonna pronounce it Biedrusko, Biedrusko, something like that anyways. Hopefully I didn't, didn't uh, uh, kill that one too badly. But this little town uh, was specific in that it housed the army barracks for the German army during the Second World War within this, again, within this large training area. So when I went and looked that up, of course, it starts with a B, right? We can't forget that. It starts with a B. When I started to research that, I couldn't find anything about Dutch military prisoners of war being housed here. Uh, and that's what I was looking for is another, that ultimate piece of proof that Dutch were captured and brought here. Couldn't find it. I did find, however, that there were some French there and there were some British there. They would have been from the early, early stages of World War II that they would have been brought there. Um, so the research continued, of course. And uh, I ended up making contact with some friends again at uh, one of the historical societies in Holland. So what can you tell me about Poland, used, used Poland again, and, and the Dutch POWs? And they stated specifically that they're not aware of any Dutch POWs ever going to Poland. Um, that doesn't mean it wouldn't have happened. They just don't know about it. Uh, that most of them went to a large camp north of Berlin, uh, New Brandenburg. And they have lots of information, lots of prisoner lists, all that sort of thing. And so, uh, of course, I checked that out. Grandfather's not on any of these lists. And it doesn't match any of this information anyway. So I'm like, well, I think he's one of the ones that didn't go there. So they weren't able to help me any further with that. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of left going, well, it's a B. It's north of the ring of forts. I kind of like this, uh, but but what else can we get here? Do we get any names? Do we get any registers? Do we get anything that can provide definitive proof that my grandfather was sent there? Um, turns out, no, <laughs> there are no registers. He came to us in a session, one of the sessions after this one, and said he they did not take his name they were not asked to write their names. 
apparently the German army was not prepared for the number of prisoner of war prisoners that they would have been capturing so early in the war. So they just fired these these guys off to this camp north of Posen and didn't know what to do with them. So they weren't set up for it. Um, which is probably played into one of the reasons Hitler decided to release them. He decided to let them go back home between six and eight weeks after they captured them, which is something that he never did. Um, the intention was as well, they're, they're Germans and the Dutch are very close. So he figured, you know what? I occupy their country, um, which is a difficult thing to do. Uh, maybe if I'm nice to them, they'll be nice to me. So we'll let all the Dutch POWs go back home and be good little boys. And uh, with the promise that they won't bother me and my armies, then they can go free. They're, they're free to go home. So, of course, everybody's like, oh, yeah, I won't do anything. I'm out of here. So they put them all on trains, whatever, and they shipped them all back home to Holland. And they all promptly joined the resistance and got into all kinds of mayhem after that, uh, breaking the promise, of course. Um, so shortly after that, uh, Hitler goes, well, you know, you're, you're kind of all uh, being a problem now. So I want you all to volunteer to come back and be prisoners again. It seems like a, a, a totally ludicrous statement. Uh, you know, like, why would you even think of asking that question? Um, apparently, some did go back. Some went back because they felt they had to go back to protect their families, right, from mm -hmm. reprisals. So some of them decided, okay, I'll voluntarily uh, go back and be a prisoner. That would have been a very hard thing to do. Uh, grandfather did not do that. Uh, he, he, he joined a resistance organization uh, like many of the others. So I, I, again, uh, we're still stuck with, okay, apparently he went to this place, came home, became a resistance member, but let's try and find some proof, right? Uh, to this day, I don't have a name on a piece of paper saying I went there. Um, and I don't believe we're going to find it. There's very little records. And this plays into part of my first session where I had such a hard time getting information at all before I came to see you, Karen why his record of service was so empty. Um, after Hitler decided that he wanted all these guys back, they recognized back in Holland that we're, it's now a threat. So we need to go and destroy all our records that attach us from mm. military. So they went to the towns uh, where all these records were kept and they, they destroyed them all. So they never made it even into their personal files. And if they were, they destroyed those anyways. So this is what makes any kind of research extremely difficult. Uh, like, uh, how do you find a single piece of proof that states, I, I was here and I did this when they destroyed it all in the first place? So again, I, I mentioned, I believe in the first, set, uh, first podcast that I managed to get him a medal for his, for his uh, service. That again, all had to come with uh, word of mouth because there were no records to show anything. 
So you had to be able to articulate to the, to the ministry that, hey, I did this. I deserve a medal. I want a medal. Please give me one. And if they happen to agree with your, your, your information, then you were lucky enough to get one. It's kind of a sad way to, to, to honor your troops, but uh, I'm not entirely sure how else you'd be able to do that. So again, I got to go back to Posen. I really strongly believed he went there. I managed to find a picture, but I don't know where I put it. I, I lost it about eight years ago. It was electronic and, and I went through a computer failure again and I could never find the picture back. But I did find a picture of Dutch and French soldiers together in this very camp. So I had a very strong suspicion he was there. All the clues led to home. So we went with him being in Posen and in a future session, he, he confirmed that he was actually in Posen. So we were good with that from there. Hopefully I didn't lose too many people on that one. A uh, lot of different clues, a lot of clues, a lot of clues going in many different directions, but uh, uh, absolutely amazing how this thing came together. And this is the way this goes together for, I don't know how many years now, seven years? It's about seven years of the same, right? Lots of clues. And uh, it's kind of like a big scavenger hunt, really. Mm -hmm. um, now we came to another conflict, though. Grandfather, prisoner of war, 1940. Comes home from camp, okay? Joins a resistance group. On my timeline that I also mentioned in the first podcast, I had written there all the different things that I knew I could prove. And one of the things was a statement from my mother that her dad came home from a camp in horrible condition, shaved head, uh, probably about two years after she was born because she had just learned to walk and was still, you know, getting good at it. She wasn't born until 1941. So this event could not have taken place. The two events do not connect, right? So that led me on the, on the thought that, well, he must have gone to a camp a second time. This, if it was true, was information that none of the family knew about. I suspected when I read my uncle's book that this conflict already was there. They had tidbits of information, but when they put it together in this book, it didn't make a lot of sense. So I already had a feeling that there was another event that took place in his, in his past during the war uh, that they weren't figuring out. So on the hunt again, in for another session. This session here was, the clues came to us um, probably over the course of a year. I'm gonna compress them down into one uh, uh, rather than to uh, uh, pick them up down the road session after session. So this is where we talk about the D. And I don't know if you remember the D, Karen, capital mm -hmm. D. Well, this is, this is, um, this is another uh, entertaining one that took me on many different uh, uh, trips through the war. I got to learn a lot about the war that I, I never even considered just from this very clue. Um, 
so we got grandfather was in the resistance. We're not going to talk about the resistance because we didn't fully research that yet because I want to do that separately for, for many reasons. It's a humongous story that deserves its own platform. So we're not going to go down the road of him, uh, his various activities in the resistance. Other than for one thing, in late 1944, so we've got, he came back from a, this first prisoner war camp in 1940. Now we're jumping to 1944. So it was four years of activity in there that we're not going to talk about. In 1944, late 1944, he was arrested. He was arrested by the Germans. And he was sent to another camp, this second camp that we suspected he went to. When we asked him, where did he go? in a session, he specifically said, I don't know. And I remember that, that kind of stunned both of us, you know, like at the moment it's possible when he was rested, he didn't know where he was going, mm -hmm. but he's dead now. Certainly he could tell us where he went, but for whatever reason, he decided he wasn't going to tell us where he went. He went with what he knew at the time. And that was, I have no idea. And he was very, very uh, stubborn with that assessment because we asked him, I don't know how many times we asked him, where did you go? Hoping that he'd give me an answer. He did not. So 1944, arrested. Where did you go? I have no idea. <laughs> what do you do with that, right? I have no idea where I went. I went somewhere. Um, so in, in, in uh, him not telling me where he went, I had to do a massive amount of research as in what was going on in 1944 during the war, like what areas were in play, where were the allies, where were the Germans, were there any uh, key things going on in 44 that might help direct me to where he could have gone to try and get a basket of places to try and eliminate right? Make this a little easier. Not an easy thing to do. There's a lot going on in 44. Uh, the Allies had landed. The Allies were pushing through Europe. They were pushing the Germans back, uh, further and further back towards their home homeland of Germany. So there's a lot of things going on. Uh, at the same time, in the East, the Soviets were pushing the Germans back as well. So you had a compression of the German army back towards their original boundaries. Uh, so there was lots of movement, which, which actually it did help because I could clearly say that the far east of Poland, he would not have been sent in late 1944 because that did no longer belong to Germany. That was now under Soviet rule, right? Or occupied by the Soviets, right? So the Germans weren't going to send their POWs there, or not POWs, their prisoners there, because it wouldn't have been a POW at this point. So what about to the south? Well, the south was, you know, you're going down into Switzerland, it, Italy, whatnot. Well, they wouldn't have gone into Switzerland. It was declared a neutral country. So the beauty of that was any foreign armies that entered into Switzerland would be taken captive by the Swiss and, and, and controlled by them. They were out of play, no longer allowed to go back and fight anywhere. You're stuck here. So how's that neutral? 
Well, neutral in the fact is they weren't taking sides. They Except were not their own. Yeah, well, precisely. But they were like a they were a safe zone. A lot of money and gold and valuables were funneled into Switzerland as they are today mm-hmm. as a, as a place of safekeeping, right? And throughout the war the Germans funneled a lot of their uh valuables down there for safekeeping, right? And a lot of it's still there. Um, so yeah, Switzerland was not a place that Germany was going to send their prisoners. What about Italy? Well, the problem with Italy was that the allies were making a push from the Mediterranean north through Italy at this very time. So why would you send prisoners into an area that was being overrun? So I kind of took it upon myself to write Italy off the map. Okay. As far as this, this, uh, thing goes here. So we know they're not going, not going too far to the east. They're not going to the south. They're not going to the west because that was already being occupied by the Allies. So all that was left was some of the Scandinavian countries and Germany itself and possibly areas of Czechoslovakia, which is relatively confined area when you look at the map of, of, of Europe. But that's still a huge area and probably a thousand camps if not more, within that area. So maybe now is the best time to define camp, uh, which was a learning experience for me as well. When you think of camp, prisoner camp, uh, be it prisoner of war camp, be it a camp where they're, they're holding Jews or, or other unwanted people under the uh, Nazi definition, um, they weren't just organized, wired in, compound areas these uh could have been factories just a factory could have been a farm uh could have been a house could have been a field just a big open field or a small field they were all given a designation and called camps so when you do research everybody likes to call every camp a concentration camp Concentration camps were very specific, as were what the term they used, death camps. The two could be one, but not necessarily the same thing. These, these things they called death camps, they were places that uh, the Jews were sent, and the whole purpose was to kill them, nothing else. You're going there, and eventually you're going you're gonna to die. Uh, that's all, they, that's all the, the purpose of this place was, very horrible. But that was their that was part of their plan when when they when they started this war. So then you have concentration camps. Within concentration camps, you also have the death camp component, but you also have work these people to death. So they take these people and they use them for whatever they need them for. We need buildings built. Let's grab some prisoners. You're going to build this building. If you don't put out, we'll kill you on the spot or we might work you to death, right? From exhaustion and lack of food, right? Then you have farms, okay? Everybody needs to eat. Where are we going to get food to feed these people and feed the German army as well? Well, we need farms. So we're going to take a bunch of these prisoners, some of them maybe the volunteer information that, hey, I'm a farmer. Good, you're on my list. Get over here. And we're going to start a farm over here near one of these larger camps. 
and we're going to grow what we need to grow. We're going to raise the livestock so that we can feed people, right? Other places, factories, we need to build stuff, right? We need to build planes. We need to build, uh, build buildings. We need to build equipment. Uh, so we need workers. And we already have established factories in the places we've occupied. So we're just going to take them all over, put in our, our prisoners, and make them build the stuff for us. These places were given camp designations as well. It's actually a very complex thing. And there's mm -hmm. books and books about the breakdown of camps. You will have, uh, let's, let's use Auschwitz. Everybody uses Auschwitz. Auschwitz is not just one camp. Auschwitz has Auschwitz one, Auschwitz two, and Auschwitz three. Auschwitz three was later given a totally different designation and taken out of the direct command of Auschwitz one. <laughs> so within those, I'm gonna use the three camps again, you have sub camps that are working for those camps as well. And sometimes those sub camps have sub-sub camps, all to make it so that there's one administrator for a particular area that would control all the activities of all these camps. So very, very quickly you get uh, camps numbering thousands, and but some of them might only have 20 people in them, right? But there's still a lot of camps, a lot of different functions. So it's a bit of a long description there, but uh, it's going to come to play later. Um, even mines, mines are camps, right? You've got a lot of coal mines, especially in Poland, lots of coal mines. Um, so they all had to perform a function for the, for the German cause. And uh, that's where all these prisoners were sent. So again, where did grandfather go? He could have gone to any one of these places. And I researched a ton of them. We had very few cl clues to go on at this point. So I think at one point I came back to see you, Karen, and I said, uh, you know, you got to give me something. How did you get from where you were arrested to wherever the hell it is you went? Right? So let's, let's drill this down to the very simple terms. How did you get there? It says uh, truck and train. And I'm going, okay, train makes sense. But train also says to me that it was a distance. If it was close, you probably would have just walked them, right? So, okay, train. Great, train. Um, what did you see from the train, right? You're on this train going from point A to point B. What did you see? Surely, you know, here I am, the dummy, thinking, you know, you get a ticket on Via Rail and you get this nice cushy seat with a big, beautiful window, right? Look at all the nice scenery go by, right? No, no windows. I didn't see anything, he says, right? <laughs> well, now what, right? What do you mean you didn't see anything? Right. Did this train stop anywhere? Oh, yes, it stopped. What did you see when the train stopped? I didn't see anything. <laughs> And, and you know, you're trying to vision this. You know, you get off a train, you're going to see whatever it is is there. But he didn't see anything. So why didn't you see anything? Well, mainly it was dark. 
We stopped in places where there was nothing. There was nothing to see. It's like, okay, this is great. We're not getting anywhere. What did you hear? Uh, not much. Didn't hear anything. Just a lot of people. You know, they got like 100 people crammed into a boxcar with no windows. And there maybe should have been 40 oh. people in there. But there's only, there's 100. So, you know, you're concentrating on the, uh, uh, the horrible conditions within this boxcar, you know, trying to survive and, you know, maybe not as concerned with where you're going. So we weren't, we weren't getting very far. And then one day I came in and asked the same question again. Are you sure you didn't see anything? And he said, I saw a D, capital D. You put it on paper, just a capital D, but you said it's part of a sign, but only the D is showing. So now I know for a fact that when uh, the armies occupied another country and they were concerned with um, prisoners moving around, like escaped prisoners moving around, and, and, and in this case, the allies potentially getting to that area, you do everything you can to slow them down. So you tear down signs or you cover signs. So my thought was, is that potentially they had covered part of this sign or removed part of this sign and all it was showing was a D. They would have known what it was, but hopefully it would confuse anybody else, right? Hmm. So we got a D. <laughs> all of this questioning and all we get is a D. Uh, what are you going to do with that? So of course, I have a great idea. I'm going to go flash up Germany. I'm going to do a search on all the towns, all the cities that start with D. Thinking that maybe it's a, a town, sound, uh, a sign for a town or city. Well, there's tons of them, tons of places that start with a D. And I brought a, a huge list in and it, I didn't do any, any, any good whatsoever. I needed more. D was just not going to fly. So we got, he's on a train. He sees a D. Did the train stop? Yes, the train stopped. Don't know where we were. Okay, what else? Did you smell anything? And of course, Karen, awesome with the smells. You know, I smell burning rubber. Huh. And, and we were on that for a little while anyway, burning rubber. What the hell, right? Mm -hmm. it's okay. Very good clue, actually. It smells burning rubber. So, but it didn't help at that point. At that point. Um, then he came out in another session and gave us a little bit more. It's like he gave me a few, few clues, which had me research the war. Uh, endlessly learning all these miscellaneous things about the war and then he'd feed me another little clue it's kind of like just baiting me right mm -hmm. so it says a gray circular stone building a gray circular stone building uh, that's all he gave well of course I'm back home Come on, give me a gray circular stone building in Europe, in Germany, wherever. Again, tons of them. Hmm. Didn't help. I couldn't find any that were connected specifically with a D. So we needed more. Well, then he baits me again. It's got a dome roof. And at this point, 
you end up inside this building in your session. I remember that you were standing in the building and you were trying to describe it to me. He was showing you this. And so we got now we got gray circular stone building. We got a D, we got a dome roof. Then you went on to say it had tall windows. And you were trying to describe the windows like they were broken up into little windows. You know what I mean? So, and you said it was like, very much like you would be in a stadium. It was a sizable building. And then there were many doors in this building. Uh, you could come and go, but when you went out this door, you went one specific place. And when you went out that door, you went out that mm -hmm. door for a different reason and ended up somewhere else. Uh, I think we referred to it much like maybe like a theater, you know, you go in this one or you go in this one, right? So uh, that, that was pretty cool. And uh, I went on a hunt again, narrowed down a little bit, but not quite. So then he gave us a couple other really awesome clues. The three, of, one, you, the three of you would be like the most fun Pictionary team ever. <laughs> the play Pictionary. Most, most fun or annoying. <laughs> sure. It would just be like brilliant to watch you guys function. Yeah, isn't Pictionary annoying anyway? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, he knew how to. He knew how to do this with me. He knew I'd love this kind of crap. So uh, he was playing it out pretty good. Um, so on the next clue, and it's on a piece of paper from one of your sessions. He drew like you know the old division signs. I don't even know if they use them in school anymore. But you know the mm -hmm. thingy. Oh, long division. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in there, you wrote the city of Ottawa. And I'm like, yeah. Ottawa? What the hell does that have to do with anything here? Right? And that one sat on my desk for a very long time until I had like an eureka moment. Divides Ottawa. What divides Ottawa? The freaking river. Oh. Right? Yeah. Oh. There's a river. So I'm going, oh, okay, there's a clue, right? <laughs> That's really there's cool. A, there's a bloody river where this D is. I would have said politics. <laughs> <laughs> and you said what divides Ottawa. Oh, yeah. See what I mean, though, by your answers? like. Well, yeah, depending on which one you pick could take you off in the wrong direction. And this happened endlessly throughout this whole process, mm -hmm. right? And that is actually how I learned what I know now about this time period mm. from all the different tangents he set me off on, or I ended up oh. going on whether he wanted me to or not. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So when you put all of these clues together, it, it starts to define where this D is. And one day I came in again for another session and you added one final clue to this thing and that it was like, it was, it was uh, um, not only did this river divide the city, but the city was a divided city in that it, was, it had a, a, a twin, a sister attached to it, right? So back to Ottawa, you got Ottawa and you got a hull right across the river. So I went right back and I pulled up this one city Deutz and right across the river is Colm and 
the river is the, uh, um, what do you call it? The, the Rhine River, the main river bordering Germany. And uh, so you got Köln, Deutz, Deutz being the smaller component of that larger city. Mm. Within Deutz, just not far from a train station, was a bombed out uh, synthetic rubber factory. Smell of rubber, smell of mm -hmm. burning rubber. Mm -hmm. Well, the train station itself, which will be item, let's go with nine and 10 and 11, mm -hmm. has a domed roof, is a gray circular stone building, oh. has the very windows you described to a T, as many doors as a train station would, right? Yeah. So I'm like, we got our place, Deutz. So when you track, track, <laughs> when you when you follow the train tracks, uh, where they head in and out of Deutz, it is a central hub. And from there, you could send people anywhere you wanted on trains. And there's a route that comes uh -huh. from Holland that goes right into this place. Uh, in behind the train station now, there are a couple of very large buildings. One building specifically was used, I think it's still up right now, I think the building still exists. Um, it was used to house uh, Jews, gypsies, and other unwanted people under the Nazi regime. They were housed there as prisoners, as well as, this is a huge building, it housed their personal property, plus the property from houses that they had acquired. And what they would do is under appointment, you could march through this place and pick what you wanted and buy it, right? It's kind of like a shopping bazaar for, for Germans and uh, kind of sick, but uh, this is what they did. And you access that by going out one of these doors at, at the train station. Of course, one of the doors led you to the track ramps where you could go here or there. And uh, then there was another door uh, as well uh, that I was reading up about that you go through. And this is where they took prisoners for uh, uh, questioning. So uh, a part of a selection process, which incidentally turned out to be another clue that came just a little bit later about this train station. So all of this started to come together here. So uh, definitely the D was Deutz. Uh, did that really help with where did you go, right? Uh, not really, considering the fact that Deutz was a hub and you could have gone just about anywhere from there by train. Uh, now, I, I, I do recall going back, and you can actually pull up some of the old uh, uh, maps that showed that the the train tracks and, and, and where they went at, in 1940 and throughout the 40s. And a lot of stuff did not change. So you can, you'd be relatively confident that if there was a track going from Deutz to say Berlin in 1944, that there's still a track from Deutz to Berlin today. Mm -hmm. Probably the same one, maybe a few alterations on the track, right? Um, so yeah, going, okay, well, he could have gone just about anywhere here, but he wouldn't have gone south again. He wouldn't have gone too far west. That's where he came from. He would definitely not have gone too far to the east. 
So again, my sights were set north. Now, Cologne is probably, I'm going to say, halfway north to south in Germany, a little bit south of halfway. So there's still a large area, many, many camps that, that there were all possibilities in here. Um, so we'd only gotten part of our trip done here. So back on the train, right? What did you see? Nothing. I saw nothing again. Okay. There were people on this train in this car with you. Do you, do you know any of them? What nationalities were they? What languages were they speaking? And it was a hodgepodge. Uh, many, many different languages. He didn't know hardly any of them. So there was very little communication back and forth between the people on the train. Uh, I, I, we asked, you know, why is it always dark? Was it always dark? He says, anytime we stopped and started, it seemed to be dark. Uh, we could see nothing because they gave us no windows, just little cracks in the boards uh, of, this, of this rail car. Um, there was no identifiers left out anywhere along the route to help any of these people uh, know where they were going or where they were at the one particular point in time, including through this entire train station, which is phenomenal, you know, tear down everything that would let any of these people know where they, where they were. And uh, obviously there's a purpose for that, but uh, it's kind of sick. Um, so all these people are basically going blind somewhere. They're, nobody's told where they're going. That would defeat the whole purpose uh, of uh, how they were taken in the first place, which is gonna be another thing we're gonna talk about later, because I think it might expand and it might take too much time. So we still don't know where he's gone but he's gone to another camp. Um, so we're getting near, uh, near the end to where I want to halt this, but we're going to go just a hair further. Um, riding the train, he could not tell us how many days he was on this train. Uh, because there is no concept of time, it just one day ran into the next day, ran into the next day. There was no food stops, no drink stops, no pee breaks. Um, so you, you'd quickly lose track of, of reality. Um, did this train stop? Where did you get out? Uh, was one of the questions near the end. Train stopped. Again, it was dark. No indication of where he was, but he said, as full as the car was, a whole bunch more people were thrown on the car. A bunch were taken off, including him. A bunch of people were put into a truck. He was put alone into a different truck, a truck that other people had come off of, right? So we've got some central point here where there's a transfer of prisoners but he said there were no buildings there were no signs they were not at any kind of station they were not in a city or village anything train just stopped where trucks transfer of people and so off the train he gets doesn't know what day it is doesn't know have any idea where he is 
gets on this truck, has no idea what's about to happen to him. But I remember him, he was wondering why he was being put on a truck when the people that were already on that truck were taken off. They were stuffed on the train in his place and the train leaves, gone. He's on this truck by himself. Well, of course, with the Germans that were driving this thing. Truck leaves, heads out into the night and takes him somewhere again. Where, where did he take you? No idea. At this point, I started to wonder whether there was a purpose to him not telling me where he went, not telling us where he went, whether that was all part of the learning process for me or whether that was uh, an honest feeling that he had no idea where he was. Uh, I now know that at the time, he really did have absolutely no idea where he was. And he was relaying that to us by telling us, I, I don't know. Instead of telling us after the fact, I now know where I went, mm -hmm. but I'm still not going to tell you. So all of that kind of made us part of the story rather than just, uh, you know, as researchers taking notes, right? We now had to play this story out the way he had to play it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Because then you get more of the feeling, you know, the, the sense of actually being part of this thing. Mm -hmm. So, and this is where I actually want to stop it for today because the next part of this is one of the most remarkable parts of the last uh, six, seven years. And I want to give that its own uh, time because uh, again, I don't know how far it's going to expand when we actually start talking about it. it really, really cool. And uh, to throw that in is going to confuse this whole thing. Okay, so, thank you. We respect okay. that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you very much, Jim. Yeah, this is, uh, I know it's, it's an unfolding story. So thank you to, to everyone who's listening and Jim for the patience to put it all together. Yeah, I thank you. And, and I hope I am getting across to people that don't have the privilege of viewing this and are just listening to this or they're watching it on these itty bitty iPhones. <laughs> um, because uh, this is such an incredibly detailed story mm -hmm. and how the clues came and how we had to work on it and figure it out. You know, it, it all sounds probably fairly straightforward when it's presented like this. But when you understand that, when I say we got six clues about D, we got one clue, you know, one clue this session. Mm -hmm. We got one clue three or four sessions later. Mm -hmm. uh, so in between figuring out what D stood for, we were working on other aspects of this story mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with D. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of like, seven years of working on D, but compressed into one show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, that's what makes it kind of difficult to put together. But hopefully I, uh, I made my point. And, and for those that are lucky enough to view some of these notes and, and photos that uh, will be put up, um, that it'll certainly benefit them because it'll bring it all together. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Jim, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you. Uh, yeah, I, as we tell this story, uh, I put myself right back in the room again, uh, mm -hmm. asking these questions. It's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I prepared notes, but there's stuff on my notes that I just 
I just remember as we're talking about it going, oh yeah, and this. Cool. You know, and certainly when we finish this podcast, there'll be other things come up as well. There's, there's just so much. Mm-hmm. There's so much to this. Well, we will have you again soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Look forward to it. Thank you. Us too. Thank you. Thanks. Well, we hope that you enjoyed today's show. Yes, you can click on show three right away.